Turn with me tonight in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to commence reading at the verse 13. Romans chapter 1. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I proposed to come unto you what was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonour their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, 
inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, <coughs> covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but of pleasure in them that do them. Amen. We know that God will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It reads as follows, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Now my theme this evening is understanding the watchword of the Protestant Reformation. I want you to think of the last six verses in particular of Romans chapter 1 verse 17. The just shall live by faith. Now these are six glorious words. They're what we call in English language monosyllables that is they've only got one syllable each these words are easy to read they're easy to commit to memory and therefore they're easy to recite even the smallest child could learn to read and recite these words the smallest child could quote them here's the text now the just shall live by faith Six glorious words. And these six glorious words form the watchword of the Protestant Reformation. And I want to say tonight, this is central to a proper understanding of the gospel. And if you weren't here this morning, we encourage you to visit the website and think of the message, the defense and the declaration of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very important that we in the church today, in the 21st century, rediscover the true gospel. And the reason for that is, just as Paul says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That means he, he gloried in the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The greatest power in the world that can change and transform the life of a sinner, making a sinner into a living saint, is the power of the gospel. Now as we think about these words tonight, three things come to mind. I want you to think, first of all, of the importance of these words. You see, these words, I believe, are very, very important. And they're found four times in the Holy Scriptures. They're found in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. They're found... Three more times in the Bible, our text is one of them, Romans chapter 1 verse 17. And then they're found as well in Galatians chapter 3 and in the verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Why? 
Here's the answer, for the just shall live by faith. And they're also found then in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10 and in the verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them which draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, these four occasions in the Bible where these words are pound are very, very significant. You see, four in the Bible, according to Bullinger in Biblical Numerics, is the number of completion. Two and three is the number of witness. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall something be established. And for God to repeat something, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, is to shine forth that this concept, or this truth that's embodied in these words, is indeed a complete witness that stands with God's seal and stamp of approval. God himself, through the work of the Spirit, is bearing a complete and truthful testimony to the great doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's arguing for the fact that the gospel is a divine revelation. The gospel, remember, is not of man nor by man. The source of the gospel is God. It's not a mere human philosophy. It's not a theory or a man-made discovery. It's not something that was invented in some school, either in Europe or in any other part of the world. The gospel is a divine revelation. And that fact that the Bible is a divine revelation is given in the Bible. Look at the words. Verse 17, for therein, that that's a reference to the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul doesn't direct us to the writings of men. He directs us back to the written word of God. He, he directs us back to the Old Testament scriptures. He, he directs us back to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. I don't like the American pronunciation of Habakkuk. It sounds like a, a, a something to do with tobacco. So we'll just stick with Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2 and 4. Here's proof of the importance of the Old Testament scriptures. The gospel is known and shown in the Old Testament. And it's interesting. If you read the epistle of Paul to the Romans... This is the first of 60 references that are taken from the Old Testament. 
60 times Paul quoted from the Old Testament scriptures to back up his argument in the book of Romans about the great doctrine of justification by faith alone and its outworking. Remember Paul in this epistle is establishing that the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and in order to establish that truth, he quotes from the Old Testament scriptures. I want to tell you tonight, and you know me, I've got a very high regard for the Holy Scriptures. The Bible tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I believe tonight in the doctrine of plenary, that's full and complete and verbal, that's word for word, inspiration. You see, the Bible tonight is the infallible and the inerrant word of God. The Bible doesn't merely contain the word of God. That's liberalism. That's modernism. The Bible doesn't become the word of God when you read it. No, the Bible is in its essence the word of the living and the true God. The Lord Jesus prayed to his father in John 17 and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we have an infallible word from heaven. We have an inherent word from heaven. We have an authoritative word from heaven. Here's the Apostle Paul and we're walking as a sense in his footsteps because he had a high view of the scriptures. It was Chillingworth who laid down a great principle, and it's this. The Bible, and only the Bible, is the religion of the Protestant. And I want to tell you tonight, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to be delivered from merely paying lip service to the Word of God, we need to get away from treating the scriptures of truth lightly and superficially and having a flippant regard for its teaching. Whenever it comes to the day of God, and I'm well aware it's a holiday time, but the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And here's a principle, one day and seven set aside for worship. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And why do we come to the house of God on the Sabbath day? We do so because of what's written in the word of God. And we do so out of love and obedience to the Lord our God. And every other aspect of our lives ties into that. Wasn't it Queen Victoria that said that the secret of England's greatness was what? The open Bible. You see, our sole authority for belief and behavior is not the church tonight. It's not what the free Presbyterian church says. It's certainly not what this preacher says. It's certainly not what the Pope says or any council or any ecumenical gathering. The sole authority in the church has to be the word of God. And therefore the book is open. 
They like the idea of an open Bible in a church. But that book must be read. That, that book must be studied. That, that book must be prayed over. We've got to pick it up. We've got to spend time reading it. We've got to take in the word of God. The entrance of thy word giveth light. And therefore we've got to, to live it out. In other words, we want to put it into practice what God has said to us. And then we want to pass it on to others. Is it any wonder the psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You see, we need to have a high regard for the word of God because the word of God has been by and large set aside today, sadly within the Protestant community and sadly, more importantly, within the Protestant church. And that's why many of these other things are being brought in and introduced into the life of the church. This is how the church becomes apostate when it blatantly ignores and turns away its mind and its ear and its eye from the word of God. That's how the Church of Scotland can bring in same-sex marriage, so-called. That's how the great Church of England could open up their doors and have a transgender policy and rebaptize them in the church because it's defying and departing from the Word of God. So there's the first thing tonight, and it's really just on the surface. And I have to confess it's burning within me. The importance of the words. Six glorious words that became the watchword of the Reformation. And they were revealed, by the way, four times to Martin Luther. There's a record. Four times these words were brought to his attention by the Spirit of God. I'll tell you about it in another occasion. But Martin Luther, when the Spirit brought the words to him, he had a high regard for these words. He didn't ignore them. Why? He didn't treat them lightly. Why? Because he received them as the word of the living God. The importance of these words. Notice, secondly, the interpretation of these words. Now, every one of these words, of course, is full of meaning. We could really use the term pregnant with truth would be a good description. Think of the words, the just, and we'll stop there. What does that word just mean when you read it? It means righteous. Old Job, who was a contemporary of Abraham, asked the question, how can a man be just before God? And he was asking the question, how can a man be righteous before God? That is, how can he be legally declared righteous? How can he be legally accepted righteous in the sight of a holy God, given the fact that we're born sinners? given the fact that we're sinners by birth, sinners by nature, sinners by practice, and sinners by choice. Remember Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All men born into this world are born, and it's not a pleasant picture, but it's the true picture revealed in the Holy Scriptures. They're born guilty, hell-deserving sinners. 
and we deserve nothing from God, neither his grace, his mercy, or love. The only thing we deserve for our sin is the wrath of a sin-hating God. God is righteous and holy. Isn't it written of him, thou art of pure eyes, and behold iniquity? Did he not say through Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth it shall die? Romans 6 and 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How then can we who are sinners by birth, nature, practice and choice and God who is intrinsically holy, how then could we ever become legally declared righteous? How could we be ever legally accepted as righteous? How could we be ever legally treated as righteous? Notice something else by way of the interpretation of these words. The just shall live. Now the reference to live here is not a reference to physical life. It's a reference to real, true, spiritual life. The Lord Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You think of one of the most popular texts of the scripture, John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And the Lord Jesus said, Here's one of the reasons why I came into the world. I am come that they might of life. What sort of life? Abundant spiritual life. That they might have everlasting life. It was the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. The word quickened means made alive. Made alive to God. Made alive to our sinfulness. Made alive to the fact that we've got an immortal soul. Made alive that God has provided a lovely saviour in Christ. It made alive to the reality and prospect of salvation. That's all tied into that. Word live. Notice, thirdly, by faith. Now what is faith? Let me give you a little acrostic. Forsaking all, I trust him. Our, our shorter catechism in question 86 asks, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And here's the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Now, faith is not the meritorious cause of spiritual life in Christ. Faith is merely the instrumental cause. Faith remembers the gift of God. It's imparted to us in the new birth. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, speaking of faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And faith is the eye that sees Christ, the Saviour. Faith is the hand 
that receives Christ the Saviour. Faith is the rest that resides upon Christ the Saviour. You see, faith is the, the means or the condition or the instrumental cause of our justification. What is justification tonight? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So faith is receiving Christ. But as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Faith is believing in or on Christ. Faith is fleeing to Christ. Faith is trusting in Christ. Faith is looking to Christ. Doesn't the Bible say, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth? Wasn't that what happened to Spurgeon, young man, 16 years of age, found himself in a wee uh, Methodist chapel on a snowy uh, Sunday morning and uh, one of the elders got up to preach. The minister hadn't come and he wasn't a preacher and he stuttered and he stammered uh, and he, 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 he uh, pointed down to young Spurgeon uh, and he had a few words of choice exhortation for him. Uh, and he told him that if he didn't look away to Christ and be saved, he'd be miserable for the rest of his life and miserable in death and in eternity. Spurgeon and look to Christ a look of faith faith is total reliance on the Lord Jesus alone faith is resting alone in Christ putting your whole weight in him remember the Philippian jailer what must I do to be saved what was he told he wasn't told to contribute a sum of money he wasn't told to join the church he wasn't told to become religious he wasn't told to perform good works he wasn't told to observe rituals and ceremonies. He wasn't told you must pray and you must fast so many times a day and you must do this and that. No, he was told what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that word believe means to trust in, adhere to and rely on. That's the full meaning of the verb at pistis in the Greek. And it all originates with God. It is God's gift. And that's the interpretation. And I want you to think tonight. Here's the importance of these words. Six glorious words found in the Bible four times. The words of God himself inspired by the Spirit. And here's the interpretation. The just speaks of righteous. And who's righteous before God? Live speaks of spiritual life, abundant and eternal. And faith is a total reliance on Christ alone for salvation. Now let me close with a final thought. And this is where I'm running into difficulty. Because I want you to think of the instruction now of these words. See, the Apostle Paul is arguing in verse 17 for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Look at verse 17 very carefully. He says, for therein. Now those words refer back to the verse 16. What was he talking about in verse 16? He's talking about the gospel. 
He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Did he glory in it? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, what? Is the righteousness of God revealed. Now, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. That is, in the good news. Now, what is it? You see, that's what troubled Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when he read that, the righteousness of God revealed, he was thinking about the fact that it's a reference to God. It's a reference to a divine attribute that God has. That God is righteous. That, that God is intrinsically righteous and absolutely holy. And God hates sin and God must punish sin. Now, that's true. But that's not what Paul is teaching here. Paul is teaching that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Maybe I'll pause for a moment. Look at verse 18. It says, For, which means because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And I want to tell you tonight that from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, right down to Romans chapter 3 and in the verse 20, it's as if the Apostle Paul is just explaining one simple thought, and it's this, the need for justification or the necessity for justification. And he picks up the theme again. If you look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, that's the Old Testament books of Moses, and the prophets, the major minor prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, now, do you see what he's doing here? He's showing in Romans 1, verse 18, right through to Romans 3 and 20, the great need for justification. Why do men need to be legally declared righteous? It's because that they are sinners. Sinners by nature, sinners by Birth, sinners by practice, sinners by choice. And that's the need of justification before he ever explains what it is. So, so there's a sort of a parenthesis then in Romans chapter 1, verses 18, right through to Romans 3 and 20. A necessary parenthesis to explain the need. And then he goes back to a subject. The righteousness of God is not a reference that it's a divine attribute of God. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And it all ties into this doctrine 
of justification by faith alone. You see, justification, remember, is an act of God's free grace. So the author of justification is God. Who planned it? We could ask the question tonight, who can forgive sinners their sins? Can a preacher? Can a pope? Can a priest? The answer is no. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who could clear guilty sinners? In the courtroom of justice? Doesn't Romans chapter 8 verse 33 make the declaration? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. You see, this is an act of justification. This legal declaration that a man's righteous can't be performed by the church, can't be performed by the preacher, can't be performed by a pope or a priest. It can only, is an act that can be performed by God himself. The principle of justification. What's the basis of this act? It's God's free grace. Isn't that what it says? Justification is an act of God's free grace. The sinner's legally justified, declared righteous without merit on his part. He doesn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. What is grace? We said this this morning. It's the unmerited, undeserved favor to the hell-deserving, to the ill-deserving. I want you to think of the ground of our justification. The ground of our justification is The precious blood. Listen to these verses. Romans 3 and 24. Being justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now it's not tremendous. And and over here in Romans chapter 5. We read these words. Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And you see, that's the ground of our justification. We're justified by his blood, he says in Romans 5 and verse 10. And there's the importance of the place of the blood in the doctrine of justification. The Lord Jesus shed his precious blood in Mount Calvary. That the Lord Jesus shed his blood to secure eternal redemption for all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. And and therefore the, the precious life of Christ and the precious perfect sacrifice of Christ intertwined together and both are necessary because the Lord Jesus lived a sinless life the Lord Jesus earned righteousness by that sinful life the Lord Jesus paid the penalty in his atoning death by the shedding of his blood for the breaking of the law and that's the ground the instrument I've already explained is faith A complete whole reliance in Christ. A trusting and adhering. A reliance in him. And what's the result? The result is that we can have spiritual life. We have peace with God. He says in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to God's throne. We were singing tonight, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. How can we carry everything to God in prayer? Here's the answer. Because we're a legally justified people. We have been declared righteous in the sight of God on account of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The love of God's in our heart. The joy of our Lord's and the strength. Our sins are forgiven. Isn't that what justification is? Wherein he pardoneth all our sins. Isn't it glorious to have sins forgiven? And not only that, but accepteth us as righteous in his sight. For what cross? For what ground? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We have an assurance of heaven. We have a legal righteousness with which to stand before God. We're, we're part of the family of God. And that's all tied in now into this spiritual life, this abundant and eternal life that we have in Christ. And that's only a part of the instruction that flows out of these six words. Is it any wonder these six words became the watchword of the Reformation? It was through these words that Luther was converted. And these words go to the very heart of the gospel. The just shall live by faith. 